0: What is up everybody? It is another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. I am your host with the Holy Ghost, Adam Peak. Uh, I did by the way just get the domain packagingpastor.com so you can go check it out, give me some feedback. Anyway, hey, I've got a great episode here with Dr. Shannon O'Grady from Gnarly Nutrition right here in Salt Lake City, Utah. We talk about the importance of packaging to an emerging brand like Gnarly Nutrition and their recent switch from plastic to steel and what that meant and how difficult it was. So be sure to tune and check that out. And it's a live interview. This is a new thing for me. Most of my interviews are recorded over Zoom. So it was really great to be able to sit down face to face and chat with Shannon. If you want to, join companies like gnarly nutrition who are out there in a community making a difference i want to encourage you to join up with our latest sponsor ubuntu ubuntu is a community of solution providers companies people news outlets who are telling the story of sustainability we have our own greenhouse myself avelio Matos, who hosts the pa- host the package design unbox podcast Corey connors who hosts the Sustainable Packaging Podcast? We have our own greenhouse where we are bringing together a community of people. You can join up for free. Go to sustainablepackaging.io. That's sustainablepackaging.io. They'll ask you for a little code, drop in their packaging25 and join up with the community. Now, not only that, but they just recently announced their latest plastic uh, report. So, what they've done. As they've gone out and they've taken a look at all of the companies, all of the things that they have said in terms of plastic reduction and sustainability, and they're saying, "Hey, is is your action actually matching your ambition?" And that is a paid report that you can you can end up getting 10% off of uh, once you join in the community. Uh, that's going to be code packaging 10. When you go to, when you go to get that report, or you can just get a summary report and that's going to be free. So all of that to say, hit up sustainable packaging.io and put in packaging 25 to join up with our community. And then if you want to get the plastics report, uh, that's going to be packaging 10 to get you 10% off of that report. I think it's like $500. It is a very, very robust report and it is super insightful. So come and join the community and let's go change the world. Speaking of changing the world, let's go uh, meet a fellow world changer, Dr. Shannon O'Grady from Gnarly Nutrition. All right. I am here for another live interview, Shannon. This is, uh, I think like my fourth or fifth, honestly, (laughs) because most of them are over Zoom. And so it's just cool to be like with somebody in person. I just think there's a different dynamic.
1: I agree. I mean I've I've done a few podcasts over the last few months and they've all been on Zoom, so it's nice to actually see a face. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. And it was cool that you're here in Salt Lake City. So this is Shannon O'Grady. Shannon is the chief product officer and COO of Gnarly Nutrition. Um i I saw your company on LinkedIn, I believe, and I was like, oh that's really fascinating. I don't I don't recall what it was that prompted me to reach out and be like, I bet Shannon would be uh Cool, fun guest to have on the podcast, but something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was like, that sounds like it would be a fun, a fun topic of conversation. So why don't you introduce yourself? Um, you know, just, I've already given the title, which is probably the least interesting part about you. So you're like a doctor, right?
1: Uh, not the kind that matters. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, a, P- P- I'm a have my PhD in biology. Yes. Yeah. So, that, that the re- research kind, research kind.
0: <laughs> it still matters though. That's hard.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's fun. I mean, I've always, I think that's what drew me to science is the ability to ask questions that, you know, interest you and then kind of go down the path of trying to find the answers or, or at least know what is not the answer, which right. tends up, ends up being what's true in science more than, <laughs> more than anything else. Yeah, I mean,
0: being able to ask questions is, is an art that I think has been lost. It was, it was part of the reason why I wanted to get into podcasting was so that I could become better at understanding empathy, curiosity, and question asking because it's hard to have a podcast without especially when you're interviewing people <laughs> and not be able to ask questions. So,
1: yeah, I think keeping an open mind is a key to, to asking questions, asking appropriate questions and, um, meaningful questions. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that's probably true in podcasting. It's definitely true in science. So, um, you know, keeping your mind open to all possibilities.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. So, uh, you have your PhD in biology, mm-hmm. which is cool. Uh, I will shout out my little sister, Lisa, who also, she has her, she got her undergrad in biology, and, and I think it was marine biology oh, specifically, cool. and she teaches now at uh, Huntington Beach High School, Huntington High School, in That's Huntington awesome. Beach, California.
1: Yeah, te- teaching science is one of my favorite things to do. Um, when I was in grad school, I had a fellowship to help integrate uh, science into some elementary schools on the west side of Salt Lake. And, um I taught, was a research assistant professor and taught at the U for a couple of years, taught at Westminster College for a little bit, um, and in my role now at Gnarly, I get to do, we're a small company, so I wear a lot of hats, which we can talk about, but um, one of the things I get to do is education around nutrition with athletes and customers, um, you know, and, and just really help people understand how nutrition can be part of the toolkit that, you know, pushes them to, towards athletic goals.
0: Yeah, and the cool part about being in the packaging industry is whenever you're able to work, you know, with a brand who's doing, you know, really great, uh, is it the word efficacious? That sounds like a fun word. No, it's a good one. Uh, Efficacious (laughs) kind of work that you get to play a role in helping them deliver their product and stuff like that. So it's, uh, that's really exciting. Um, So how did you get then? So you studied here in Salt Lake, right? Mm -hmm. Did you go to University of Utah?
1: I did, yeah.
0: Um, Studied biology. How do you go from that to COO of a nutrition company? Sounds like a a fun journey.
1: Yeah, sure. It's a great question. Um, So when I was in graduate school, I, uh, well, I'd always been a runner, but I got pretty into endurance sports. Um, Things like Ironman, ultra running, ultra biking. Um, and you can't really do those sports without being pretty methodical about your nutrition. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, my PhD was in nutritional physiology, more with an ecological kind of bend to it. Um, but during that period, I was doing a lot of research into sports nutrition at the same time and, um, got pretty nerdy about it and, uh, like I do with most things. And, um, and got really interested in that aspect of it and, and kind of decided I didn't want to go through the tenure track, uh, you know, deal in academia. I didn't want to move to any state, uh, quality of life is super important to me. I'm, you know, love the outdoors, love the mountains. So I didn't want to move to any state to just take a tenure track position. Um, and the dietary supplement industry is pretty big in Utah.
0: Um,
1: so I was looking for some kind of transitionary job that that would get me into um, kind of more of a human nutrition, sports nutrition market and got a job as uh, product development. I don't remember what the job title was, but it was in product development with a supplement, pretty big supplement company in Utah. Um, got, learned a lot kind of about the industry and labeling regulations and formulations there. Then got a job um, at a manufacturing, supplement manufacturer. Um, really to bring that manufacturer into compliance and to, and to help them gain NSF certification, which mm. is a third-party quality certification, to so learn a ton about manufacturing um, and quality compliance while there. And um, I found Gnarly, uh, while I was at that job, a friend of mine who's a pro skier um, had just been sponsored by them. And I was like, what is this brand? And, and the name kind of stuck out. And so I did a little research and a lot of their product formulations overlapped with my own kind of, um, values as, as far as supplements and, and nutritional products go. And so I wrote him a letter and sent him my resume and was like, this is what I can do for you. They hired me as a contractor. And a year later I came on full time kind of as uh, head of product development.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And how long ago was that, that, uh, that?
1: Almost seven years now.
0: Oh man, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So this has been a, a, it's it, cause it seems like in, in Salt Lake, I think that we're, you know, we're known for a lot of stuff, but I don't think that people really fully understand the amount of, like you talked about, like contract manufacturing and supplement manufacturing that happens in the state. When you live here, you know it, but as a person who just moved here three years ago, it's not like it's known for that.
1: Yeah. And it's a huge industry in the state. I mean, all parts of the supplement industry, whether it's brands, uh, co-packers, manufacturers. I mean, they're all even packaging components. You can really find it here. Um, And what was great is, uh, you know, I often talk about as far as like what I wanted to be when I grew up. I knew I wanted to work for a company that specialized in sports nutrition. And those first two jobs weren't my ideal job at the time. But the experience that I gained through both of those jobs really set me up. Mm-hmm. Um, for what I do now, which is what I want to do when I grow up, um, and I get to wear a lot of hats at gnarly, I get to you know make packaging decisions, I get to do customer education, I get to do product formulations, I get to work with athletes on their nutrition so um, it 's been really it 's been a cool path, although That's it wasn't awesome. wasn 't necessarily a straight path
0: yeah yeah, and it, I mean this whole podcast started because I had this theory that people who get into the packaging industry whether it's on the brand side like you are or in the actually making of the packaging there's very very few people i've only had a couple of people who were like yep my grandfather you know had this company and then my dad worked there and now i'm there um you know there it's more people like yourself or you know myself who it's like i was a pastor and and you know got into it through my uncle, who owns a company in San Diego, like that's how I got into the packaging industry. But I didn't wake up one day and I was like, you know what I really want to do is get into this packaging industry. Uh, my hope is that that happens more and more because it's a really incredible space. It's a really great industry that is solving a lot of problems yeah. but and creating a lot of problems. So there's a lot of opportunities to, to drive really positive change. Uh, so I totally resonate with that. A couple of questions on the athletic side of thing, and then we'll kind of get into the more packaging conversation. So you mentioned that you were, uh, like a ultra runner, marathoner or something like that. athlete.
1: Like I, I always joke and say I have SAD, sports attention deficit disorder. Um, I now, you know i just competed in the world master championship at in jiu jitsu in vegas this past weekend <laughs> so i mean i, I jiu jitsu is my new passion and um new being like 5 years old but it's my most favorite thing i've ever done but i've i've been all over the place with athletics but i always i'm a pretty stubborn person and you know, that works well in endurance yeah. events <laughs> you kind of just put your head down and go decide not to quit. But, yeah, but
0: Jiu Jitsu is not, I mean, it has a level of endurance to it, but it's not like you're going to go out and run the, what was the one in Leadville, there was some like big, like hundred mile 100. 100. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I haven't done that one. I've done the Leadville 100 mountain bike, but not the run. Okay. I've never, I've run 50 miles, but I've never run a hundred miles.
0: Got it. Yeah. But I mean, those would be two different. It seems to me in my mind that those are two different. You, you prepare differently for mm-hmm. jujitsu than you would for a, an Ironman, for example,
1: a hundred percent. I mean, I think they scratch different itches for me, if that makes sense. Like I, I will always be a runner. I'll always be a biker. My family and I climb a lot. Like I, I need the time outside for just my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but jujitsu is like chess with your mind and your body. Um, you know, you have to solve a different problem every different opponent you come up against. It's both humbling and empowering simultaneously. And I think the relationships that you gain through working that closely with another individual, like training partners, competitors, everything, um, it's scary to go up and like this past weekend to fight women in Vegas in front of a bunch of people. Like it, it puts you in a pretty uncomfortable place. And um, like most things, that's where you grow is yeah. when you're in a, you know, a, a uncomfortable position that scares you a little bit. So. Yeah. It's been good.
0: We're going to hang on. We're going to put a, a little anchor point there talking about getting into uncomfortable positions. when okay. we talk about packaging because we were talking kind of pre-call about like how you've had to learn a lot about packaging. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that's even, I mean, I'm not going to say that packaging is like jujitsu, but I'm just saying like it's. Ex- it sounds like it has expanded your knowledge in a, in a place where you can learn. So we'll come back to that. But uh, in terms of gnarly mm-hmm. nutrition, so you mentioned that you have some like athletes that you sponsor. Is there a segment of athletics that you're like we it's mostly, you know, extreme athletes or, you know, distance running or uh basketball or football like what what kinds of athletes are you working with um currently? And you know, maybe what are some places that you see yourself going into?
1: Sure. I mean, I'd say the products themselves are for all athletes. Um, Gnarly kind of was born in the mountains. Um, we, you know, both the founder, our CEO, Eli her and myself, you know, as we talked about, mountain athletes um, and felt like we could speak most authentically to mountain athletes, you no know, climbers, trail runners, mountain bikers. Um, and so that's who the brand started reaching out to. It's also a segment that hasn't received a lot of nutrition education. Um, and so it was a good place for us to educate and share how products like ours could really help. I mean, it's definitely not like take our product and you're going to be the next, you know, Killian Journey or like amazing ultra runner, but, um, it's part of the equation, right? And and giving people the education on how products like ours can help them um, wasn't really being done for that community. So I'd say we started there. We also appealed to a lot of gym athletes. Um, we're getting more... Historically, we've been most successful in the climbing industry. Um, we're the nutrition supplement partner of USA Climbing. So um, we just had... You know our athletes do an amazing job at the Olympics Nathaniel Coleman got a silver medal um, so really good showing for team USA and it was great to be a part of that um, but we're also getting more into the endurance segment now so um, sponsoring a lot of ultra runs and a lot of uh, road and trail races and also gravel biking which is, has picked up and, and gotten pretty huge
0: okay that's cool uh, it, and where, I'll let you do in the middle of the podcast uh, sales pitch. So where would somebody? I'm not good at sales. I know. Fine, <laughs> uh, most salespeople aren't good at sales either, but that's another topic. Uh, sorry, salespeople. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so where, where do people, this is a simple question. How do people buy your products? Is sure. it online? Do they go to a store? Is it retail? Yeah.
1: So online, gonarly.com, um, you know, Amazon, we're in more and more like the feed, which is a nutrition supplement, like sports nutrition supplement based online store. Um, we're like actively expanding our uh, retail presence um, this year. So really pushing for that. Um, Trying to get into more run and bike specialty shops. Um, having some pretty exciting conversations right now with some larger retailers, so hoping that works out.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. great. Okay, so mostly, so almost all online right now?
1: Uh, almost all online, I'd say. Okay. Yeah.
0: And you said go gnarly.com? Go gnarly.com. All right, sweet. Everybody go to go gnarly. There you go. See? <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. So that was great. Yeah. Good delivery. Thank you. Thank you. I do what I can. So, the, the end here, let's talk about packaging and go back to that anchor point that we put it about learning. So, over the seven years, how has your packaging had to evolve? I, I would imagine it's not what it was when you started off because you have how many products?
1: Uh, we have about nine products, I think. Okay. Um, that's not counting flavor variations and pack, like stick packs versus full size. You have more
0: SKUs than you have products. Exactly. But you have a, not a base of nine products, yeah. and um, and so how have you had to evolve it? Not just from a uh, you know structural like barrier property type thing, but also you you are an outdoor focused product, and so I'm sure you have you have customers that are focused a lot on sustainability when it comes to your product, just in, in a nutshell, and packaging plays a big role in that. So how has that, how has your packaging evolved since you've been there? Um, and, at, and And as you develop a new product, how do you take into account that new knowledge base that you've gotten to kind of, and you probably struggled through it, right? I'm sure that you've had failures. (laughs) Yes.
1: (laughs) One of my mantras is that, you know, there's, there's no progress without struggle, so it's definitely part of uh, the journey. Um, yeah, great question. I'd say most, I mean, this has been fairly recent, these changes, but they've been in the works or in research for at least the last two years, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you walk into GNC or you walk into any uh, mass retailer that sells a lot of products like ours, you see you know a, a sea of HDPE or PET tubs. Like historically, that's just what the industry has used. You're seeing more and more products and bags, but there are you know bags that are uh, multi-material. You know have plastic film on the inside um, and therefore can't be recycled.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so definitely was aware of where the industry and us as a brand was as far as sustainability. Um, internally it had been something we'd been looking into for a while. And we definitely got a lot of uh, emails from our customers letting us know that they wanted to see a change. So like, thank you to, to those customers too, because um, while the change can happen internally, it also takes, it's a, it was a bit of a risk for us. And we can talk about this later, being a small brand, Capital investment, not knowing um, what the reception was going to be, um, and so having that, you know, showing this many customers have emailed us, here are some of their specific comments helps when you're trying to convince a board that you need to take a risk like this. Right. Um. So, so yes, do that for companies that you use. Email them and let them know of you know the positive change you want to see. Yeah, and
0: use social. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of value in reaching out, you know, publicly and privately through like Twitter and LinkedIn and I mean brands do I I see them on my side, right? The brands do listen, especially yeah. if you're on the, you know, if you're if you're a smaller brand, it your customers are probably your best marketing tool as well because they're the ones out there advocating, mm-hmm. talking about it, sharing it, you know, that kind of stuff. Okay. So Absolutely reach out. So they were reaching out to you about, were you in a, like an HDPE tub? Yeah. So
1: we were in a variety of sizes of HDPE tubs and colored tubs is, you know, on top of that. So, you know, colored, you probably know this, colored tubs are hardly recycled Mm because, you know, the the plastic that's recycled and used for PCR products has to be neutral color, clear, because it's it's like almost infecting it with dark paint. Like it's hard to reuse and then be able to color after that, especially... Was something like black plastic, which is what we were using. Yeah. So um, in kind of the worst of the worst, as far as plastic, like I, you know, theoretically it was recyclable. It had that little recycle symbol on there, but the more and more, I mean, we didn't know that to start with, but the more I started doing research into like, oh, can we move into PCR? I realized that, um, you know, even moving into white or clear plastic would be a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and so, we knew we wanted to do it. I started working on it um, on my own, reaching out to contacts that I had learned about um, you know, groups like TerraCycle, learned about products like Loop, um, which is this you know total elimination of packaging. We saw that kind of as the ideal, but the pay to play with that program was way more than we could handle as a small brand. Although it was appealing on many levels, it just wasn't something that we could do. Um, And then I have a friend that's uh, in the um, Department of Environmental Education and Sustainability, I I might be getting that wrong, Um, at the U, and they have an internship program. Um, So I was like, oh, I've got a lot on my plate. I'm not spending as much time as I would like on this. You know, why don't I bring in someone whose sole purpose is to do some research? And um, that was a great move because we started looking at what we could move into and we really wanted to find something that was a solu- not a solution, but a, a, a pretty big step on the right path. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. It's hard to say solution unless you're eliminating packaging.
0: Um, sure, but it's it's like science though. Like you talked about science earlier, and I view packaging the same way, which is there. The it's unfortunate, but you just said it. Like the best packaging is zero, but in order to get a product to be delivered from an assembly line to or a filling line to the consumer, packaging is sort of this necessary evil that exists. You totally. know? I mean, not all the time there is a like there's a store here in Salt Lake. Um the bulk. Yeah, yeah. the bulk um mm-hmm. I forget the name of it. Supermarket too. Jamaica is she runs it and I can't I remember Jamaica's name, but I can't remember the name of her. It's store. on night side. Sorry, Jamaica. Yeah. Um you know, there are there there are things like that, but I I I've always encouraged brands in my, I guess now fifteen years of the industry, it's like it's probably not going to be your final solution. Just like science, right? Like you're just constantly asking questions, trying to figure out the next best thing to do. Yeah. But whatever you're in today in ten years. It will hopefully be something different because we've innovated to a place hundred percent where so yeah I you see a lot of like eco shaming by people because there's always gonna be something wrong
1: mm-hmm. oh oh, I was yeah i I was so ready for people to tell us what was wrong with you know the tint and plated steel we ended up moving to, but yeah, um, you know we're learning and yeah. it was better than we were, um but yeah, so. You know, I had that intern really run down a number of changes we could have made. Um, You know, look at PCR, look at the cost, look at the benefit, um, look at the problems associated with it. Same thing with biodegradable film. Same thing with compostable film. Like, what's the difference between the two? What environmental conditions are required to get things to actually break down? What does the barrier look like on those kind of materials? Like, what is it going to look like on our shelf life? Um, we also started looking at metal cans. I mean, we joke about it, but the metal cans, actually, I was having a beer from a local brewery and it's one of those wide mouth beers where the the whole top of the aluminum can comes off. Almost like
0: a tennis ball. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. And, um, and I was like, wow, if we could only get cans like this to put our supplements in, I had reached out. Try to find some aluminum. I think that's when I found your podcast. Oh. Try to find find some aluminum um, can manufacturers. I have a friend that uh, runs a distilling or owns a distilling company in, in uh, Utah, and so I kind of reached out to him to find out where he got his aluminum cans. He put me in contact with someone else. Like, was trying to find out if that was a possibility. Started looking at coffee cans like Illy that mm-hmm. are in metal packaging. Um, trying to find places that made packaging like that. Um, So, the more and more we looked at metal and the the recycling track record of metal and um, the fact that metal is infinitely recyclable, um, the more and more it seemed like the best solution for us and where we were and um, that's, you know, that's kind of we started looking for companies that could supply us with, with metal cans. Yeah,
0: and I'm sure that was A, not easy to find and then B, Especially today, given just the sheer amount of pressure on supply chains, has also probably had its own uh, source of headache in terms of just like it, the whole supply chain is crazy. Not just in in metals and aluminums and things like that. Paper is having its struggles, mm-hmm. um, films are having their struggles. But but so you and you made the changeover. When was that? You said it was. So recent? we
1: started looking. <laughs> It's funny because when I think of the timing of these things, I'm like, oh God, why did we do both at the same time? But it was almost worked out best. So we were rebranding Gnarly. Uh, so changing the look of the logo and all of the packaging. Um, and then we decided that with that rebrand, we also wanted to make the switch from our products that were in the plastic tubs mm-hmm. to uh, switching them over to these tin-plated uh, steel. And... Um, so, we were working with a creative company on the rebrand. And that's about the time that we started looking for partners that could help us with um, with the tin plated steel cans. Yeah. And I had talked to a few um, really, for me, customer service, uh, both in terms of like time it takes for someone to respond and the quality of the response is, is whether or not I'm gonna work with a vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, price obviously is a is a factor as well, but I'd rather pay a little bit more and know that I can trust the person. Um, and that, in the end, was was why we went awesome. with the vendor we did.
0: The uh, there was a, a story from the Harvard Business Review that actually detailed that that the the, the greatest um, the, the or the what was the number? It was like the the highest percentage of retention was attributed to customer effort, mm-hmm. meaning like, are you easy to work with? It, and, and we see that in b to c where like if you look at like what Amazon has done and why other large retailers could not do what Amazon did they just figured out how to make things easy
1: yeah
0: and there's there's a lot of room for growth in the packaging industry. I'll just leave it at that in terms of like making making our products easy to buy like we put a lot of I would say unnecessary roadblocks some are necessary, right you have to do a stability test on your product. You don't want to you don't want to make it switch over to a new material and then have it fail on the shelf. There's nothing sustainable about that, right? right? Now you have to throw out a bunch of products and you lose a bunch of money and you lose brand equity and all that kind of stuff. So nobody wants that. So there are necessary things, but I that's a big passion of mine is like how do we make it just easier for people to reply to approve art to get pricing like
1: to be honest about roadblocks that they're experiencing so that I can adjust my expectations and timeline I think mm. that's the biggest thing is that I'd rather you tell me bad news as soon as you know it so that I can pivot quickly mm-hmm. rather than like not responding to my email for 10 days um, I deal with that with it sounds all like of... a
0: very specific <laughs> well
1: I mean I just deal with that with vendors of all whether it's a not main I have a really close relationship with our manufacturer and they're great. But um with ingredient vendors with uh, you know all elements um yeah. it's not just true in packaging, but um 100% like that relationship and also taking time to talk to the small guys. You know, I think that's a big one too is um you know really understanding that you're we might not be the big fish right now. But we're a small fish trying to be a big fish, mm-hmm. and if you treat me well now, while I'm a small fish, and you stick by me and help me out, and um, then when I am a big fish, I'm going to repay that loyalty. Yeah, like that. I think that also giving smaller companies that um, that chance mm-hmm. is a big one too.
0: And and I think there's also something to be said, and I, I actually talk about this a lot on LinkedIn, which is understanding the industry well enough to be able to say. Yeah, we can do that, but it's not really our... Like, that's not our strong suit. You really want to talk to... And then referring people over to competitors is... I I know that that's not, like, the most popular thing to say if you're working for, like, a packaging manufacturer because you have to... You have a fiduciary duty to, like, you know, make things happen. But in the long run, especially if it's like, hey, we're not great at... Like, we're going to be a nightmare to work with at your size... But here's a, a couple of really great companies, and you might outgrow them. And when you do, we would love to work with you because, and then you, and then you have a good enough relationship with those companies that are really great at handling shorter runs and quicker response times and that kind of stuff. And just say, hey, if these ever get if this ever gets to a point where it's just taking up too much of your manufacturing time, your line time, um, you know, we're really great at these bigger runs and we can, let's figure out something. So I that's happening more and more. I'm seeing more collaboration within the industry, but I personally just wish it would happen.
1: I 100% agree. I mean, not only might you see that account come back, you might even see that person that you interacted with move to a bigger company who who then wants to change their business to you because of that interaction.
0: Yeah. I think
1: just helping, I mean, it's true in all life, right? Doing what you can to be kind and help people where they need it is going to just you know pay back
0: yep it's yeah totally there's a, a a guy that does a lot of sales content and sales co- coaching and consulting his name is josh braun and i, I love what he talks about because um, he's he's a big believer in um not overdrawing your account so he and he, he talks to salespeople. he's like are you making deposits like are you are you so useful that you have made enough deposits that when it comes time to say, like, hey, I'd really like to work with you, when somebody's like, Yes, that's the person that I want to work with because they've been so useful, rather than just always trying to withdraw, like you're always trying to take. Yep. Um and Adam Grant talks a lot about that if you followed any of his work out of uh he's out of Wharton School of Business, I think, but he has a whole book called Give and Take hmm. that expands beyond sales and just is about like in general, are you a person who gives to your community more than you're trying to take? And so, yeah, I love um, that. Yeah, it's really, it's really good. So you pivoted from uh, going back to packaging because you know it's the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You pivoted from HDPE into uh, into a what was it? A tin.
1: It's a tin-plated steel tin-plated
0: steel container.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you also were mentioning prior to the call that you had some film. Like some bags, and that
1: yeah, did you
0: make a transition into a monomaterial bag? So the year the
1: year prior, I mean, I we started tra- we started talking to uh, the the can manufacturer. We ended up going right at the start of COVID, mm. um, so kind of in the twelve months prior to that, I guess that's March twenty twenty ish. I had transitioned all of our um, products in, in non recyclable pouches to recyclable pouches. So the drop-off. Yeah,
0: the store drop-off. Yeah,
1: that's, it's not ideal, Uh, but really for bags, it's the best solution out there. I'm um, not a fan of biodegradable material, Um, at least the biodegradable material that I've come into contact with doesn't all break down, then you're left with microplastics. To get it to break down, you need very specific, uh, you know, temperatures and pressures and um, the compostable material we looked at, I, I couldn't really find anything that had a barrier that would protect our product. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of European companies, uh, nutrition supplement companies that I, I find whose products are in compostable, and I don't know if it's a difference in um, regulation or, you know what is defined as compostable or potentially um, having more compostable, like citywide compostable programs. Available, Like, I'm not sure what it is, but domestically, at least, um, haven't found any solutions. We wanted to go with a domestic supplier. Um, Mm -hmm. All of our cans are USA made, which was important to us. Um, So, you know, for those two kind of technologies, I guess, in packaging, I'm not sure if that's the right term, just didn't seem like a good solution. It wasn't in the direction that I wanted to move. It didn't feel, although we could probably have, in marketing speak, you know, painted it, you know, to look really good for our company. It didn't feel like the step forward that um, that we really wanted to take. Well, and that's,
0: I think, the dangerous part about, like, I just spoke at um, the uh, Recycling Coalition of Utah. They had an event on Friday. Oh, cool. And so I got to speak there, and the, the hardest part about, like, compostable packaging that is then sort of spun up to be maybe more impactful than it actually is, is that it tends to coincide with like a craft look or like green printing. And right, wrong, or indifferent, what people see when they see that in America is, I put this in my recycle bin. Yep. And so the recyclers hate the advancements of compostable packaging because there's not a whole lot of people aren't delineating through it because it's not it's not backyard compostable especially the films yep. and there's not a lot of industrial composting facilities so in theory you know it comes from like a renewable resource and and we don't need to get into the soil degradation and fertilizer that can sometimes be used in in that process which I don't think has the, the greatest reputation so in theory it sounds really great um, but then you have like Australia has banned, Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, New Zealand is voting on banning compostable packaging. There are parts of even the EU that are looking... I think Tesco has put a pretty hard stop on a lot of it. So, I mean, again, can it advance? It would be great if it could advance. But as it's currently constructed today, especially on, you know, things like a barrier property, it's like you're supposed to keep moisture and oxygen out, and what degrades the actual product is moisture and oxygen. Mm -hmm. So... On some level, I, I mean, I, I would say, yeah, that, that's, that, that's not an inappropriate decision to make. And the thing that has struck me about, because I'll be honest, I was kind of like, really on the store side, like, people aren't going to do it. Talk about customer effort, right? Like, okay. people already have our hard time recycling their stuff. Are they really going to take it in? Blah, blah, blah. And I was, I can't remember who, I was talking with somebody recently about the the in-store recycling program. And how it's I mean, recycling is kind of an interesting. Works. So it's not like it gets turned back into film. It could happen. I think there's some advancements there, but most of it gets turned into composite decking, you know. For right. for and and when I when I went beyond that. Oh, I know when I was talking about it this morning on my uh, shameless plug. I host a packaging. <laughs> packaging show on Monday mornings on LinkedIn. Oh,
1: I didn't know for that. For like 15 okay. minutes,
0: yeah. Check it out. Uh, with, with my buddy Avelio, who runs uh, the Package Design Unboxed podcast, and then Corey Connors, who hosts Sustainable Packaging Podcast. So the three of us just get on every every morning. So this morning I was talking about how, well, if you are replacing traditional lumber decking that needs high amounts of polyurethane, mm-hmm. constant attention and upkeep, tends to not last as long as composite. And if you're replacing that with what was, you know, your your flexible films, it's it's going it, well it might not be recycled infinitely like, you know, yep. aluminum. The chances that if it's put onto a home that it's going to stay there for 50, 60, 70 years are pretty dang good.
1: And then what materials are you saving by using Correct. that as opposed? Yeah. It's yeah. Definitely the downstream effects are are potentially huge positive on forest sustainability.
0: Yeah, and I just, like, literally within the last week had that thought entered my mind of, oh, yeah, this is actually helping replace traditional means of, you know, creating lumber or, like, the the Tetra Pak type stuff that gets turned into um, insulation in homes, you know, things like that. It's like, is it the greatest... No, just like we we're talking about, it's not the absolute best. It's probably not where we're gonna end up, but where we're at today, it's a pretty it's a pretty dang good solution. Yeah. And when you compare flexible bags to say, you know, HDPE or, you know, any other kind of rigid packaging, and you look at the like kind of the full lifecycle analysis, which it sounds like is stuff that you guys were getting into with your intern, um, there's a pretty good story in terms of you can fit you know, millions of those bags on a truck mm-hmm. instead of, you know, thousands of rigid containers and on and on and on. So yeah, it's uh I I don't I try to not demonize any material <laughs> because I really try to I really focus on like asking the question about like well let's just look at what's the best material that we have right now for the product and the brand. So it sounds like that's kind of the same path you guys went down. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, um, with the idea that it's a path, right? We're not at the end of it. So, um, I mean, I think the major, you know, hurdle in our line right now, you know, like you said, I I feel pretty good Mm -hmm. about where we are with the recyclable plastic pouches. I haven't been able to find a solution as of yet for our um, stick packs. Mm -hmm. They don't have film that's recyclable right now postable film has the same barrier issues Um, so yeah right now that's a bummer because those obviously are used are are much more of a single-use item Um, so you know I'll I'll keep an eye out for that you told me that if anybody has material they want to talk to me about yeah if you have a if you have recyclable film for stick packs like contact
0: me I want to know about that yeah all right all right you heard it here Uh, well this has been great. Uh, we're kind of nearing the end here. So you're talking about this journey. So what is what is next on the journey for Gnarly Nutrition in terms of, uh, I know you talked about a little bit, you know, some exciting conversations you're having with retailers, um, you know, just new, you know, when we should be looking out for, you know, some potentially new exciting products or formulations or... Uh, Let's get some people involved with gnarly nutrition and and following what you guys are doing.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we're a value driven company. So we, um, you know, that's reflected in our move towards sustainable packaging. It's reflective in, uh, the athletes that we work with, um, what they stand for. Um, we just released some really great, uh, videos featuring, um, athletes that we have close relationships with. One, um, transgender biker. Um, Blake Hansen, who's amazing, outside picked that up. Um, we did one with a, a good friend, um, Alvin, who's a local route setter at one of the climbing gyms, also an amazing biker. He's a DACA recipient. So um, working with people that I think go beyond just you know, their amazing athletic accomplishments um, and trying to, to really partner with them and share their story and, and how that reflects on, on Gnarly and who we choose to work with. Um, We're also, you know, continuing to figure out how to, you know, better improve our sustainability track record. We currently use plastic scoops, so trying to figure out, are we going to get rid of scoops altogether? Are we going to have customers elect, you know, to have scoops shipped with them as opposed to including them in all our products? Figuring that out, um, looking at, uh, you know, some of our apparel and like non-nutrition product offerings on the site come wrapped in, in plastic. So can we get our, you know, uh, partners to kind of change their ways and, and send us blender bottles or send us, you know, shirts that aren't, uh, you know, sealed up in plastic, Mm -hmm. looking at things like that, um, that maybe the, the customer might not see, but, um, definitely, you know, helps us farther along that path that we talked about.
0: Yeah. I refer to that as the unsexy parts of sustainability. <laughs> yeah. The stuff that's impactful that people don't see but you still do it anyways because, like you said, you're a value-driven company and, you know, it, there's nothing worse than seeing companies who espouse values outwardly but internally don't actually hold up to those values. So it's cool that not only are you are doing it but that you get to be in a position at gnarly as their COO to, to have a big and CPO, sorry. You get two titles. That's exciting. Well, it's because we're a small team. That's yeah, fine. No, no, it's great. It's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, I but we're going Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh can do can I actually buy a gnarly hat? Do you have Yeah, okay. I'll give you a gnarly hat. Oh no way. Yeah, no.
1: What I yeah, we can walk around to our our real office around the <laughs> um
0: Well, yeah. So anyway, Shannon, this has been great. Um, can I call you Doctor? No. No, you don't like that. <laughs> no thanks. Okay.
1: <laughs> Just call me Shannon. Just call you Shannon. <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Well, Shannon, it's been awesome. Uh, I've learned a lot. I hope that you know. Hopefully, some people reach out with some new innovations that they're working on in the packaging industry and can help you keep doing all the stuff that you want to do and yeah. helping all the athletes that you're helping and. Uh, it's just, it's, it's great to be a small part of your journey. So thanks for coming on. Awesome,
1: Thanks for having me on. i really appreciate it.
0: Hey, that wraps up another edition of the people of packaging podcast. It would mean so much if you would like and share rate review, subscribe, because we want to change the world because we believe that packaging is awesome.